Welcome aboard. Well, another week has snuck by of a lockdown, but at least the weather is improving, makes you feel a little bit better. And uh, some some things may be easing up a little bit, although, of course, nobody is sure whether or not it's the right thing to do. Talking about going back to school, just about nothing about this virus is, is certain. Everything is uh, is up in the air. So we'll talk about some aspects, of course, of uh, COVID, because what else is there to talk about? Actually, there are other things to talk about, but we'll talk about that. And also, like last week, we're going to have a little bit of a diversion. I, I think it's time for that. Uh, so after uh, 3.15, after we take the break for um, traffic, we'll do a few minutes of uh, our quiz. And... Uh, Hopefully, we'll all learn something. So this is the way it's going to work. You give us a call at 514-790-0800. You get on the line. I ask you a question. If you get it right, I ask you another one. If you get it wrong, you're gone. And uh, let's see how many smart people we have out there because each of these questions are designed to be learned something from. Okay, so uh, you can get on the line right now, 514-790-0800, and we'll play our, uh, our quiz. Okay, but for now, believe it or not, there is a connection between COVID-19 and perhaps that most clever of all Seinfeld episodes ever, <laughs> the one that was entitled The Contest. I just love that episode. I mean, I love Seinfeld altogether. I think it was a brilliant show, but especially the episode about The Contest. Although the activity that was the subject of that episode was never mentioned by name, it was clear that it was all about Jerry, Kramer, George, and Elaine taking uh, matters into their own hands, as it were. In some circles, this uh, solitary pursuit is referred to as onanism, O-N-A-N-I-S-M, a term that first appeared in the early 18th century with an anonymously published pamphlet called Onania. That title derived from the biblical story of Onan, who got into trouble when he disobeyed a direct order from God to father a child by his brother's widow. And in those days, that was something that was to be done. Uh, if, there was, if there were no children from a deceased, deceased man, then his brother was uh, to sire uh, children from his widow so that the family could continue could continue. But uh, uh, Onan decided that this was not to his liking. And uh, as described in the book of Genesis, instead of impregnating his sister-in-law, he, quote, spilled his seed on the ground. Uh, this displeased the Lord, and it cost Onan his life. Although the most likely interpretation of spilling his seed would seem to be uh, coitus interruptus, or withdrawal, in Onania, it was interpreted as what might one call self-pleasuring, and it was described as a heinous sin. The pamphlet described the frightful consequences of self-pollution and offered spiritual and physical advice to those who have already injured themselves by this abominable practice. Those injuries were frightful indeed. Epilepsy, mental illness, tuberculosis, pimples, even baldness, were all said to be a consequence of uh, being one's own sex partner. 
Blindness was also said to be a possible outcome, and that, of course, gave rise to that old joke, let's just do it until we need glasses. Besides the supposed uh, admonition in the Bible, the proposed rationale for the injurious effects was that a sexual act was followed by a sudden feeling of lethargy, and if performed too frequently, it would leave the body in a diseased state. Sex was to be reserved for procreation only. Sylvester Graham, the 19th century health guru, after whom the Graham Cracker is named, although contrary to what is written in many accounts, he did not invent the Graham Cracker. It was just named after him much later. Anyway, Graham claimed that the loss of an ounce of semen was equivalent to the loss of four ounces of blood, although there was no explanation forthcoming about how he came to this conclusion. He saw self-abuse as the most criminal, the most pernicious, most unnatural of sexual acts, and labeled it a contagious disease that reduced life force and exposed the body to disease and even death. Dr. John Harvey Kellogg, who rose to fame as the founder of the famed Battle Creek Sanitarium, that of course was in Battle Creek, Michigan, and uh, people from around the world came to the sanitarium. Kellogg had all kinds of treatments. He would put them into electrified baths. He had saunas of all kinds. And uh, basically, people came, the rich and famous, to be treated for diseases that they probably never actually had. Anyway, uh, Kellogg was a devotee of Sylvester Graham and had even more extreme views about sexual activity than Graham. He encouraged strict abstention and, believe it or not, he never consummated his own marriage, although he and his wife adopted close to 40 children. He called solitary vice the most dangerous of all sexual abuses and claimed that there was a connection between food and drink and one's urges and thoughts. It was stimulated by irritating foods, such as meat and refined grains, that is, the thoughts. A man that lives on pork, fine flour, bread, rich pies and cakes and condiments, drinks tea and coffee, and uses tobacco, might as well try to fly as to be chased in thought, he claimed. Although Kellogg, together with his brother, Will, did, not in, did invent cornflakes, it's not true that he claimed that the cereal was to control one's urges. The cereal was never promoted as such. The brothers were basically interested in creating an easy-to-digest, healthy, uh, prepared breakfast, although cereal did not... Uh, cereal kind of fit into John Harvey's unstimulating dietary scheme. And his dietary scheme was, was interesting. He said, never overeat. Gluttony is fatal to chastity, and overeating will be certain to cause emissions with other evils. Eat only twice a day. If the stomach contains undigested food, the sleep will be disturbed, dreams will be more abundant, and emissions will be frequent. Don't eat stimulating food. Spices, pepper, ginger, mustard, cinnamon, cloves, pickles. Don't drink stimulating drinks, he said. No wine, no beer, no tea, no coffee. Uh, the influence of coffee stimulating to the genital organs. Chocolate should also be discarded. Tobacco should be totally abandoned at once. Well, obviously, that was pretty good advice, at least about uh, tobacco. Eat and drink plain and bland foods and drinks. Eat fruits, grains, milk, and vegetables. They are wholesome and unstimulating. 
graham flour, oatmeal, and ripe fruit are indispensable of diet to those who are suffering from sexual excesses. Kellogg would certainly have been against the suggestion seen in some blog posts these days that practicing onanism may be helpful in preventing coronavirus infection. What is the rationale for this advice? A 2004 study of 11 male volunteers who showed an increase in blood levels of natural killer cells after masturbation. Natural killer cells are so-called because they release chemicals that kill cells that had been infected by a carcinogen or by a virus. When a cell infected by a virus dies, the virus is also destroyed. However, there is no evidence that uh, self-abuse, as it is often called, has any protective benefit against COVID-19. Anyway, now you know the story uh, that leads us from that classic Steinfeld episode to the silliness uh, about uh, preventing COVID-19. You're listening to The Dr. Joe Show. You can get on the line at 514-790-0800 if you want to play our quiz for a few minutes. We'll be right back. Okay, I'm going to get you started with the quiz. I'll pose the question, and if you know the answer to this one, you get on the line, and then I'll ask you another question. Okay, here we go. If Aquafina bottled water contains 0.05 parts per million of fluoride, okay, 0.05 parts per million of fluoride, how many milligrams of fluoride are there in a 250 milliliter glass? Okay, let me repeat that in case you need paper, although you shouldn't need paper to figure this out. So we have a bottled uh, water. It contains 0.05 ppm, parts per million of fluoride. My question is, how many milligrams of fluoride are there in a 250 milliliter glass? You know the answer? You give us a call at 514-790-0800. In the meantime, let me go to the lines. Hi, welcome to the show. Go ahead. Hi, go ahead. Okay, um, I'm wondering about something. My sister has a strong hankering for restaurant takeout food. She's in her 70s, and what's the danger of catching a virus from uh, restaurant takeout food? Very, very small chance. I, I would not say zero chance, but very, very small chance. Uh, the only way that this could happen is if... Um, uh, someone who's delivering the the food happened to sneeze or cough on it, mm-hmm. uh, left a residue. You pick it up, uh, you touch it, and then you touch your face. It's possible. So I would say that there's a very simple way to avoid this, and that is once you have picked up the the, the, the container, you just wash your hands. Uh-huh. And, you know, if you wash your hands before you touch your face, you're not going to get infected. So I, I don't have any concern myself about um, ordering out. I, I think that the risk is extremely small, although, of course, you can never say that it is totally zero because the scenario that I just described could happen, but it is very unlikely. Okay? Okay, thank you very much. All right. Okay, I, is it true that I don't have anyone on the line? Let me repeat that question. Let me repeat that question. Uh, I can't believe that this question should be so difficult that uh, uh, you can't answer it. You have a bottled water, and on the label it says 0.05 parts per million of fluoride. 
How many milligrams of fluoride are there in a 250 milliliter glass? You can, of course, also text your questions and comments to 514-800-514-800. Okay, Uh, in the meantime, I had a question about uh, hand sanitizer and uh, about an FDA warning in the U.S. about a potential carcinogen being found in uh, hand sanitizer. So what is this all about? Oh, it refers to the presence, possible presence of acetaldehyde in hand sanitizers and uh, its potential toxicity. And uh, indeed, there was an advisory put out by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration concerning the finding of this chemical in some hand sanitizer. And the companies involved were told that their product did not meet health standards. Okay, let me try to explain what this is. Ethanol-based hand sanitizers contain anywhere from 60 to 90% ethanol. And that is sourced from the biofuel industry. And the biofuel industry ferments biomass, which is usually corn or some other plant material, to produce ethanol and carbon dioxide. I mean, this is a classic fermentation process. This is really what happens when you, you make wine, except in that case, you use grapes and you ferment the grapes to produce ethanol and carbon dioxide. So anyway, the biofuel industry uh, buys up a lot of corn and they add uh, uh, basically yeast to it and it converts it to ethanol and carbon dioxide. And the ethanol uh, is stored to be added to gasoline. Uh, There's a small percentage of of 5 to 10% ethanol that is all added to to gasoline uh, and uh, it makes it burn better and, and cleaner. And anyway, ethanol can react with oxygen in the air. So when the ethanol is stored, it can react with some oxygen and uh, an oxidation reaction ensues. And when ethanol is oxidized, as any organic chemistry student will tell you, you form acetaldehyde. And acetaldehyde is indeed a carcinogen. Now, food-grade ethanol, stuff that you, you know, you can, you can buy ethanol in, in, in uh, liquor stores. Food-grade ethanol is distilled to be free of acetaldehyde, but technical-grade alcohol, which may be used to make uh, hand sanitizer, can contain traces of acetaldehyde. Well, with the shortage of hand sanitizer, governments have uh, allowed the use of technical-grade ethanol. And now some products have indeed been found to contain traces of acetaldehyde. The amounts are very small and unlikely to cause any harm when applied topically. But of course, it's, it's better if it's not there. Remember, though, that every time any alcoholic beverage is consumed, the ethanol in the body ends up being oxidized, some of it to acetaldehyde, then goes further to acetic acid. And indeed, the, the formation of acetaldehyde is the reason that alcoholic beverages are in group one of the International Agency for Research on Cancer's list of carcinogens. And group one contains substances that are known to be human carcinogens. Acetaldehyde is also formed upon combustion of fuels and is released into the air by a number of industries, such as power plants, cement kilns, pulp and paper mills, as well as by gasoline and diesel engines. In indoor air, there's further contribution from particle board, from plastic flooring, and from laminated furniture. In comparison, exposure to acetaldehyde from hand sanitizers is extremely small. 
Basically, I would have greater concern about drinking alcohol than about the occasional exposure to technical-grade ethanol used in hand sanitizers. In any case, though, the preferred method of cleaning hands is soap and water, with hand sanitizers recommended only when soap and water are not available. So, for example, when you when you go uh, grocery shopping and you touch stuff, uh, best idea is after, when you're about ready to exit and make sure you're not touching your face before, you use a hand sanitizer when you go out of the store. Okay, let's... Uh, Let's go to uh, Don in Hudson. Hi, Don. Hi, how are you? Okay. Good. I, I'll, I'll attempt to answer the question, but then I have a question. Okay. So I think it's 0 0.05. It's not 0 0.05. <laughs> but the dilution shouldn't change, right? Uh, well, I repeat the question. The label yeah. says 0 0.05 parts per million of fluoride. Okay. But right. what what I'm asking is how per, many milligrams of fluoride are there in a 250 milliliter glass? Oh, milligrams and milliliters. Okay. <laughs> All right. What's your question? Um, what's your opinion on when dentists go back to work, their threat or danger of contacting COVID-19 through aerosol? Oh, very good question. Um uh, the, the dentist yeah. and the staff. Yes, I, I understand that yesterday the Dental Association put up new uh, put out guidelines about just oh. what was to be done, and oh, what I what, haven't got that yet. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I I think it came out yesterday. Your dentist? Yes. Yeah, yeah, I think it came out yesterday. Anyway, so okay. to check, and I I okay. think that they're uh, they're advising exactly what protective equipment to wear. I mean, obviously, uh, you're working in the mouth and drilling and stuff. There's going to be some aerosolization of uh, aerosol formation from saliva, etc. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I mean, it's possible that there's a virus in there, and I think they're they're going to advise that you you wear proper PPE, you you wear um, N95 mask, and you wear a face shield, and you wear a covering. Right. I think that's right. that's the message. Right. And now that's that's what I'm thinking as well before they even came out yeah. with the guidelines, but is that sufficient? Uh it it certainly seems to have been sufficient in most hospital environments. I okay. I think it's uh well, I can't say that there've been no cases of people who've been infected who have worn, you know, total protective equipment, but I think that's been rare. Uh, I I mm -hmm. think, you know, it, it off nothing offers 100% protection. I mean, let's that's, face it, not correct. not not even, you know, the N95 mask. But uh, I mean, obviously, uh, it's going to be a good idea when you when you practice. Uh, you go home and you change your clothes from whatever you were wearing. I mean, obviously. Uh, so I, you know, there's there comes a time with this damn virus uh, that we're going to have to take some chances because we we can't forever close down everything. So you know, what what can I say? You do the best that you possibly can. So you had a little extra dose of Tom Lair there, which never hurt anybody. All right, let's go to, I think it is Leo. Leo? Yes, hi. Hi. How are you? Okay, you got an answer for me. Yeah, 1.25. 1.25 is not correct. Sorry. Okay. Sorry. Okay, let me go to Rose. Hi, Rose. Hi. Uh, I have a question for you, doctor. I have... Uh, Big cavities on my tooth and my gums are hurting. I called the dentist who works at the hospital. 
He said, you will come when it starts to hurt and when it swells. Can I get any infection from uh, going to the dentist? You mean, uh, do you have to worry about uh, the coronavirus? Yes. Look, any time that you come into contact with anyone, there is a chance. There is a chance. But uh, listen, when you know when you have a toothache and you got to do something, you have to take some chances. Exactly. It, the risk, the risk would be very small. Yes, but, but you know. meanwhile, I have to wait. Right. Oh. Well, I think that most dentists are hooked up to to some service where where they can provide emergency help. So he works at the hospital. Yeah. Yeah, I can't tell you about individual, but I know that there are many dentists who have uh, ways of doing emergency. Thank you uh, very much. Let's go to Raphael. Raphael, who do I have? Is that not Uh, Meanwhile, I have to wait. Hello. Hello. Yes. Ah, Dr. Yo, I think I have an answer for your question of the aldehyde. I think the concentration will be 12.5 micrograms. Uh, I asked you, the question was, how many milligrams of fluoride are there in the 250 milliliter glass? Okay, well, I I, I would say mm, I convert the milligrams in micrograms. Okay, so so tell me in milligrams, if you know it in micrograms. <laughs> okay, let's see, it's um, 12.5, point zero, one to five. Point zero one two five is correct. Very good. Okay. All right. Let me just explain to people who are who may not understand. Um, okay. Okay. Uh, 0.05 parts per million means 0.05 milligrams per liter of water. Per yes. Liter. Okay. So if you're taking one quarter of a liter, which is 250 milliliters, you take one quarter of 0.05, which is 0.0125. Very good. All right. So okay. you have you have earned the right to be asked the second question. Okay? okay. All right. <clears throat> Who invented the battery? The battery. The battery. Uh-huh. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't have the answer for that. Think for a moment of, of a term that is described, used to describe electricity, which is also uh, named after. Faraday? Who? Michael Faraday? No, not Faraday. No, it's not Faraday, but that's a very good guess. Very good guess. Faraday was uh, certainly one of the first ever to use a battery, but he Uh he didn't invent it. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Let me go to... Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Let me go to the next caller. Hi. Who do we have here? How many people you got on the line? Maybe I don't get through. Yeah, you're you're through. You're through right now. Yeah. All right. Who invented the battery? Yes, I'm waiting. Yeah, I'm waiting. yeah, yeah I want to ask uh, the meat if you got the virus uh, <laughs> by cooking well done, if you kill the virus. What? The meat. The meat. Yeah, if you cook well done, if you kill the... Yes, it does. It, it does. does. They already yeah, asked this question. Absolutely. Now, can you tell me who invented I got the, the answer for you. The dentist, I phone, and there is a line company, uh, the center, Yeah. and uh, if any emergency, they take them. Okay. Because they all collect on the center of Quebec. Right. Okay, very good. All right, let me go to the next one. Hi. Who do we have here? Yes, the answer for the battery. Yes. Go ahead. Who? Who? Leo. Oh, you're asking me a question? I'm asking you a question. Yeah, who invented the battery? Yeah, I believe it was uh, Italian scientist Volta. Yes, it was. It was Alessandro Volta. Very good. 
Uh, roughly when? Oh, that I wouldn't know, but uh, I would. Oops, sorry. Yeah, I sorry. Uh, well, it, yeah, my it was apologies. All, I, w- I would say eighteen, uh, end of eighteenth century. Yeah, I would say. End yes, of very century. good. Yes, that very good. Yes. All right. So you've earned the right to be asked another question. Okay. Its yeah. its heartbeat can reach one thousand two hundred and sixty beats per minute. That would be colibri. No. <laughs> the bird. Oh, you call it a hummingbird. A hummingbird, yes. Yeah, what, what in you... Latin it's called colibri. Oh, really? I never heard that. Yes, okay. it's another name for the those species. In English, it's a hummingbird. Very good. And and uh, do you have any idea how many times it flaps its wing per second? Uh, I'm not, I don't know exact number, but I know it's it's about, uh, hundred or so. It's you're close. It's about eighty. I mean, you think yeah. about that. That's pretty incredible, right? Well, uh, considering uh, their size of a bee. Yes, but I mean, you try to flap your arms, and you can flap it once a second. This this wow. bird does it eighty times a second, right? That's really something. Well, yeah. that's why they have uh, hollow bones. Yes. Okay. Uh, next question. Yep. Albert Einstein won the Nobel Prize in 1921. What did he win it for? Of course, I want to say relativity theory, but uh, yes, that's but, the only thing that comes to mind. But you know that I wouldn't ask that question if that were the answer. Yeah, that would be very easy. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess E equals MC square. No, no. Well. Okay, yeah. anyway, very good attempt. You, I you, know the only thing I know, he worked at the patent bureau at some time. And he did work at the patent bureau. Yeah, and bureau, at some yeah. point I know he was expelled from school. Uh, that is also true, but what is not true, which is also written in many books, is, is that yeah. uh, he did poorly in uh, mathematics in school. That's not true. He was always, Yeah, I he, wouldn't imagine. He so. was always at the top of his class. And I know his last name means one stone. It does. It does. Yeah. All right. Let me Sorry. go. Okay, good. Let me go to the next one. Hi, who do we have online here? Hello, go ahead. Hello? Yes, go ahead. Who- Hi, um, so for the Nobel Prize, was it for his discovery of the um, photoelectric effect? Yes, it was. It was for the photoelectric <laughs> effect. And everybody, everybody thinks that it was for the theory of relativity, but uh, the committee judged, although he had already formulated the relativity theory by then, uh, the committee judged that that was too controversial, but he had already made a mark for himself with the photoelectric effect. That is, that when you shine light on certain materials, they will um, emit electrons. That is, release a, a current. All right, very good. Next question for you. Oh boy. How long does it take an individual blood cell to make a complete circuit of the body? And I'll, I'll give you a little leeway on this. So let's say you were sitting on a blood cell in your heart, how long would it be until you ended up back in the heart? Oh, goodness. Uh, a minute? Bang on. Excellent. Oh very, very good. Very good. I'm impressed. All Does right. Depend, we, we, though, on, like, uh, on your resting heart rate? <laughs> okay, I, I go to the next question for you. <laughs> okay. Uh, mycology is the study of what? Uh, mushrooms and fungus. Very I only good. Know that because I'm I'm mycophobic. <laughs> oh, okay, boy, you you are hot here. Next question: How many legs does a spider have? Technically six. Nope. 
No, no, but yeah, yeah, you were pretty good there. Let me remind you that every Thursday uh, with my colleagues, we have an online program and uh, we call it Discussions of COVID-19 Plus More. And uh, we discuss all aspects of, uh, of COVID, bring up some interesting stories and have some interesting guests. You can watch previous versions of, of the program all you have to do is go to uh, our Facebook page. That is the McGill Office for Science and Society Facebook page. You go to Facebook, you put in McGill Office for Science and Society, it will come right up. And uh, if you have any questions, you, of course, can always email me at joejoe.schwarcz at mcgill.ca. Check out my Facebook. I put lots of stuff uh, on there. And you can check out our website at mcgill.ca slash OSS, where you can also sign up for our weekly newsletter that you get for, uh, for free. And uh, last week on our Thursday online show, we had Dr. Paul Offit, who is one of the world's leading experts on vaccination. And uh, we discussed the prospect of uh, vaccine. And uh, he was uh, quite uh, optimistic about uh, vaccine being developed, uh, although he had some reservations about uh, how quickly the vaccine would be put out, that he, he has some concern that it will be released without proper testing because of the pressure that is being applied by the, uh, by the population. Anyway, you can watch the whole program, and uh, the easiest way to do that is you just uh, go to um, our website, which is mcgill.ca slash OSS, and uh, you'll find the link there to, to the um, uh, broadcast. And you can tune in again on, uh, on Thursday. I'm not sure exactly what time we will be doing it on Thursday. Last Thursday, we did it at 7 o'clock. Um, I'm not exactly sure what time we will do it, but I will alert you uh, both on, on our website and on my Facebook page. And, uh, of course, the Facebook page is easy to find. You just go to Facebook and you put in my name. And uh, that's where I tend to put my observations and comments. <clears throat> okay. Uh, number of texts that have come in. Uh, for killing the virus on any takeout food, how long to bake covered in the oven? Okay, let me remind you that this is a respiratory virus. This is not a gastrointestinal virus. It's not like the uh, uh, norovirus. Uh, so you don't get sick by eating this. You get sick by inhaling it. So even if there are remnants of the virus on the food, this is not an issue. It is going to go directly into your stomach, and uh, there it will uh, uh, be digested by the uh, uh, acid juices. So food is not an issue. The only uh, issue with food is touching it. If someone else has touched it with contaminated hands, you touch it, and then you touch your face, uh, nose area, mouth area, then it's possible. Mostly the nose is where uh, it loves to enter uh, the body. But uh, really, food is not, not a big problem. Someone else uh, is worried about running out of Lysol wipes and what can be used instead. Uh, well, for your kitchen counter, uh, really wiping it with uh, dishwashing soap and, and, and water is uh, is fine, and just rinse it well after. Uh, but you can make your, your wipes, you just make a dilute solution of bleach, and you want it to be dilute. You don't need concentrated bleach for this, so about four teaspoons in a liter of water. 
is is all that you need. And then you can uh, put that on a paper towel or on a rag, and uh, that is as as good as um, a Lysol uh, wipe. I suspect, though, that that pretty soon the industry will be gearing up and there will not be a shortage of of the wipes. Oh, and uh, let me see what else. Uh, If it's so hard to get COVID-19, how are people actually getting infected? Well, no, it is not hard. I I just said that it's hard with food, but there are many other means of getting infected. If someone coughs, sneezes nearby, and you are exposed to that air for a while— but I think it's, you know, uh, you have to be exposed for a while. It's not instantaneous. And, uh, yeah, or you get breathed upon by someone who is infected. But I think that the real risks are being in an enclosed space with people who are infected or who are asymptomatic uh, carriers. It's not being out on the street and having someone walk by you. I don't think that that is a significant risk. It is being inside, especially in a situation where air doesn't circulate very well. Uh, And this is a situation, unfortunately, that we have in many old age homes. And that's why they are so susceptible, because once uh, there's an infected person in there, uh, the virus gets into the air, and uh, these people stay there without going out, without you know uh, opening windows often, and that's how it it, it spreads. But uh, the the rule that has uh, you know so often been emphasized of staying about two meters away from other people, uh, I think is is very protective. Nobody would say that that offers you 100% protection because, as we have seen from experiments, a a strong cough or a sneeze can travel further than two meters. But again, to me, I think the the real risk is indoors, even outdoors. Uh, You know, if if someone coughs or sneezes, uh, even if it travels more than two meters, uh, you're not likely to be in contact with a significant concentration of, of viruses in the air for any length of time. So uh, distancing, especially uh, indoors, uh, walking outside uh, to me is, is, is not a, a big risk. I, I don't think that uh, wearing a mask when you're walking outside is, is necessary. It's the, the virus isn't hanging around in the air to attack you. You've got to be within breathing distance of someone for some time in order to, uh, uh, to be infected. Okay, let me go to uh, Vince and Villaray. Hi, Vince. Vince? Spider is at the eight, eight legs. Yes, the spider has eight, eight and, legs, exactly. And uh, the virus, uh, after 90, hot, and when it's hot, it dies. And when it's cold, I don't know what number has to be cold that it dies. No, the virus, the virus is in in fact uh, not affected by cold. It, no, it, it, no, it likes cold. In the refrigerator and the freezer, in a freezer, a virus can uh, survive yes. for years and oh. become active again. Yeah. So you mean in the body when they put the body in the morgue and the fridge is still alive? <laughs> it could be. Yes, it could be. Yes. What about if you eat those uh, spice, the curry, cumin? No. Ginger? 
Nothing. No, that once, is- listen, once, once the uh, virus is inside your body and has infected cells, yeah. there's nothing that you can eat to uninfect yourself. There's nothing you can inhale. There's nothing that you can breathe. Of oh, course, yeah. there is certainly a search for drugs that, yeah. that, that will uh, get into cells and inactivate the virus, but so far there isn't anything. Antibiotic only. No, antibi- even- antibiotics do not work on viruses. Antibiotics oh only work on, on, on bacteria. Uh, sometimes antibiotics now are given, and that is because often after someone comes down with a viral infection, their immune system is compromised, and they're more likely to get a bacterial infection if they should encounter bacteria. So that's why sometimes antibacterials uh, are given for COVID patients, but it is not to control the virus. And unfortunately, we just don't have anything right now to control the virus. And uh, uh, the the drug that you heard a lot about this week, Remdesivir uh, is an interesting drug because at least it does have some some effect, but that effect is is not uh, a game changer because what they found was in cases of people who have serious uh, infection and are hospitalized, uh, they will recover somewhat sooner if they are given this drug. So instead of recovering in 16 days, they recover in 11 days, which which of course is important, you know, when when you're the person and you're in the hospital. However. The most important thing about this virus is finding out whether or not there's any medication that can reduce mortality, that can reduce the number of people dying. And the remdesivir did not reduce mortality. People died just the same. It's just that the people who recovered, recovered somewhat faster. Okay, thanks very much for your call. And that is about it. We have uh, run out of time. I hope we have answered some of your questions. I hope that we have had uh, some fun as well. You learned that spiders have uh, eight legs. And uh, you learned that uh, your blood circulates uh, once every Sixty seconds, and that uh, hummingbird can f- uh, can flap its wings eighty times a second, which I find remarkable, and its heart beats at uh, twelve hundred and sixty times a minute. It's quite quite a creature. Let me remind you: you can always ask me questions at joe.schwartz at mcgill.ca. Check out the McGill Office for Science and Society website. Check out our Facebook page. And you can take a look at the program that we had last Thursday with Dr. Paul Offit because it was indeed uh, extremely informative. That's it. We'll be back with you same time, same station next week. Until then, I'm Joe Schwartz, hoping all the chemistry in your life comes out just right.